Welcome to the Horror Flicks and Music Mix Podcast, Vinyl Edition, The Bear Notes. I'm your host, Dustin, and in this episode, we're going to dive into the captivating world of horror film scores etched onto vinyl. Joining us is Lane Bear, a music consumer like none other. With an insatiable appetite for a sonic artistry, Lane is a passionate vinyl collector who listens to music and soundscapes as pieces of art themselves. We're going to be talking about two A24 films today, both... Uh, Ari Aster's Midsommar and Robert Eggers' The Witch. And I chose my best friend Lane to to do this segment with me because of how he consumes music, like I was just kind of talking about. And he, it's going to give us a unique perspective on how these scores elevate the eerie narratives of these films into spine-tingling masterpieces. And we're going to check out, um, you know, the scores and soundtracks as themselves, separate from the film. So grab your popcorn and get ready to uncover the magic behind the scenes as we explore the captivating stories told through music and cinema. Without further ado, Lane Bear. Lane, how's it going? That's great, Dustin. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah. Long time friend. I'm really excited for what you got going on here. Thanks, Lane. Yeah, man. Yeah. This is exciting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, Midsommar, um, you have not seen the movie, and now you want to see the movie after listening to the soundtrack. I kind of do. Um, I'm definitely, um, you know, I, I found in the past that, you know, a lot of the, the horror movies are very elevated psychological thrillers and stuff like that. Um, though it's exciting for me, it, it sticks with me, man. Like I have a hard time letting it go. Um, so it kind of haunts me in the night. So, you know, admittedly so, um, not my thing. However, um, you know, the way that I experience music is typically through taste um, and color. So that's why I really like scores like this because it's just a really, it can be an emotional journey, um, kind of diving deep into a sonic world for me because um, it's not music per se as much as emotion. So I really like that a lot. Exactly. And that's what we're here to do on this podcast. We're here to talk about how the score of the movie helps deliver the impact of the emotion and the intensity of whatever scene is going on. Mm. And so, yeah, with Vinyl Edition, we're just going to talk about either scores or soundtracks and just kind of how what you see or what they make you see, I guess. And we're going to compare that to what's actually going on in the film and kind of see if that's close at all or... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we just, um, you know, I did have the opportunity to listen to this a couple times um, before coming here today. And then uh, when I first got here, you and I had sat down and listened to it. And um, some of the some of the things each time that I had heard this score, there was some new stuff. And it's it's great to listen to something on my system at home um, and then be able to come here and put it through your system and have uh, different speakers and different orientations um, because one thing in particular about this that I did not get to experience at home through my near field speakers I live in a small apartment so um, I have near field set up whereas here you have a surround um, more cinematic setup yeah. which is great um, so I actually was able to kind of get a little bit of a different experience through the panning techniques that were going on here Mm. Um, definitely to me felt like 
especially at the beginning, things are going left to right um, and then expanding from the middle, which is interesting because, I mean, that's exactly what would probably be happening throughout the movie where it's trying to zoom in on certain uh, emotions or characters or experiences. Um, and it just really felt as though it was expanding and it, something, it started out with something small and it was definitely trying to zoom in on a specific emotion which to me throughout the entirety of this was dread, um, deep desire. There's a lot of emotional contrast going on here. Um, and once this baby gets started, it gets dark fast. <laughs> uh, yeah, with that, it's kind of funny. Um, cause you know, like you said, you haven't seen the movie and just right, right off the bat, the beginning opening score it's actually the beginning of the movie and I'm not going to really spoil it for you because you haven't seen it. And, but it opens very, very dark. Like one of the worst things possible could happen uh, for those listening. They know if, I mean, I guess if they've seen it, they know what was going on. Uh, it even starts with uh, Danny, our main character, you know, crying and screaming. No, no. How did that make you feel? I guess the best way that I can say it is there's a lot of human elements of um depth and despair followed by moments of hope and perhaps stepping in a brighter direction but every time you take one step in a brighter direction it almost feels as though the rug is ripped out from underneath you and when things drop they drop fast and continually throughout the the course of listening to the score once we go if we listening to it on vinyl one side is dark and then you almost believe that when you flip to the next side how could it get darker and it continues to get darker and you get deeper and deeper down this black hole where i think one of the techniques that's definitely used throughout is simplicity and emotional layering um, there's multiple layers going on at any given time and there's an there's an interesting contrast between the two emotions that you're feeling at any given time because some of them are at times youthful and hopeful and playful um, with long drony high pitch sustained um, choral sections happening behind and at times even layering um, for instance xylophone in an, in an extremely playful and childish feeling layered with practically like slasher film, high pitch, like what sounded to me like violins um, in the background. So it's yeah, there's, there's super a lot of contrast, a lot of layers of strings. Yeah, for sure. Definitely stringy, <clears throat> um, choral, um, human, um, really an atmospheric journey and if I'm being honest emotionally unsettling this one stuck with me um, all night until I came here today had a chance to um, listen to it again with you in your setting and that was really nice um, there for me not being um, a horror movie guy and just coming here and, and kind of being part of this with you to to provide sort of an unbiased perspective on it, just simply from a sound design perspective. Um, I can tell you that there's a couple drops 
followed by what I would consider to be audible pop scares, even though I know this isn't that type of horror movie. Um, but it's jarring. There's jarring moments of escalation that happen um, that really add to the suspense. Um, feeling, you know, it, there's quite an oral landscape. Um, and in this case, a lot of depth in simplicity. Um, so things like the dissonance and the sustained chords are really what add to the suspense. Um, the droniness, um, practically mysterious at times, um, but at the same time immersive. So I kind of got the feeling as though at the beginning that I'm walking through like a fairy forest and then, you know, there's kind of like a, you come to the end of the, the trees and you see this beautiful clearing with tall grass and, you know, butterflies and bunnies. And at the same time, you can feel something coming as the second layer, which is building up from behind. But it's interesting how anytime a layer is added, the, the front layer doesn't go away. So you'll have something that's bright and colorful and hopeful and happy on the forefront all the while you have some deep dark dread building in the background um that's just taking deep dives in there so for me i was kind of mentally pulled in a lot of different directions with this one hmm. um yeah i mean just listening to it with you again uh that was my first time listening to it separately from the film and I like how they used a lot of parts that are actually like vocal lines that are in the movie they used in the score. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the human aspect of, of everything. And, and even with the instruments, you, you said that there's a human element to what is being played. Yeah. And even to, I guess, kind of dive in on the human element and also with the layering of emotions that are going on here, like though it is very immersive, it is also very delicate. And for me, you know, not having seen the movie, I know this movie came out quite a while ago um, in context of how quickly the horror genre can move. Um, I'd never seen it, but I do recall maybe seeing the, uh, you know, the preview on it on TV once or twice and this f the score feels it's delicate it's emotional it's sensitive and it it really it it doesn't jump but it swings the from from either positive to to dark um, and at times when the steps happen, sometimes it'll swing and, and like a, just a motion. And other times you can feel the steps as if perhaps there's occurrences that are happening throughout the film that then push this female element into a deeper and darker place. Uh, I mean like, yeah, you're pretty much, you're pretty much spot on because our main character, Danny is in fact, a woman going through very very hard times uh and this movie basically revolves around her and what is happening in her life and there are just major impacts like 
life events that happen very fast for her. So she is just going through a lot at once. And that also uh, pairs up to how you're saying every, everything's layered emotionally. Do you want to dive a little bit more into into that? Yeah, I, I think it's actually g- genius um, as you listen through it because it's so simple, um, masterfully executed, honestly. Um, it starts out dark. It gets darker and darker and darker with moments of hope, yet followed by moments of deep, deep loss and even the the last track the first thing you said was hope there it is again yeah and it, it, it continually can just feel that there's hope at the same time that there's mental anguish happening and i almost feel like it's paint this this oral landscape is painting the picture of again a female character which is held captive by circumstance and mental anguish. It's deep. It is an absolute emotional roller coaster over overlaid with intensifying dread throughout the entirety of it. It's um it has stuck with me. And even what's interesting though is when it comes to it stepping in the in the direction of hope, um I almost found it strategic. Um, the use of a xylophone, right? Because when you think of, when I think of a xylophone, I mean, I almost, it almost goes back to like, you know, a baby in a crib, right? When you think of that imagery and you hear like a xylophone and the, you know, the, the little planets spinning around above a baby laying on its back. Oh yeah. When you hear a xylophone, I mean, it's, it's, that's what I mean by youthful and playful and innocent. And to use that as one of the front layers, while the back layer is literally what sounds like a group of 20 or 30 women just screaming in pain. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, that was like it to me, like that, that scene took it, to a very dark place, uh, practically perhaps witchcraft. Um, you know, that's really the, what was kind of coming through my brain on at that time, but very dark, very, very dark. I mean, you, you could say, uh, I mean, it's not necessarily witchcraft that's going on in the movie, but I mean, that what, what's going on leading up to that. You could say that's definitely some sort of witchcraft, but this, the place, and the people are definitely have their ways of doing things to not spoil anything for you. Yeah, no, like mental manipulation, I think. Like that's part of the craft of doing something with such simplicity when you talk about like making a score like this. It's delivering a, a color. And to me, a lot of these colors were, you know, you're not finding pastels here. And you're not finding neons here. Like you're finding dark, dark colors. And even though they might be in your greens um, and your reds and your blues, they are the darkest of those. Um, Practically those colors in a shadow. So to me, there's a shadow over this entire thing. And a couple times what's interesting is you'll have like folk 
traditional, like folky, and like, but folk presented in perhaps like a ritualistic way. There is definitely rituals that go on, and this definitely is a folk horror movie if you would uh, put it into a subgenre. Okay. So. Well, you can yeah. hear it. You can hear. I it. think it's again masterfully executed. Uh oh yeah, we haven't even said who who does the score. The Haxon Cloak. The Haxon Cloak is a British composer, also known as Bobby Krillick. 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 Okay. Is it Krillick? Well, that's what it says on the front of it, but honestly, I didn't know how to pronounce it. I mean. And then after I may have looking him up, I found out that he's just known by the Haxon Cloak. Yeah, I mean, you know what Haxon is. I don't. Again, man, I'm just. Oh, see, I'm just listening. See, uh, Haxon is a very, 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 very old word for witch. Oh, see, that's I think part of my thing here is. I don't. Again, I'm not a consumer of this, so if I'm, I, I want to be able to provide context from a non-biased perspective. Yes. So by digging in too deep, I, I feel like perhaps I'm learning too much and not just giving. The perspective that I'm receiving off just being somebody who's never digested this before, never heard this before, never seen this before. It's not even in my wheelhouse as far as <laughs> preferential genres of movies or anything. But yeah. definitely the way that I consume music and the way that I consume oral landscapes, you know, I feel like it might even be a disservice to do more than just one quick Google search and read a couple of lines. Right. So I definitely yeah. wanted to know who did this, but that was about as far as I went. Like if there's any information on the exterior of the cover, you know, I'll look into that a little bit. Um, as far as even actors and actresses, like I don't, I've done no research on anything like that. Um, I put the, I looked up who did this. It came up with Wikipedia you know, and I read two <laughs> yeah. lines. I was like, okay, cool. Pop the record on, got it spinning, sat there on my couch with my eyes closed and just absorbed it all. Absorbed it. And I mean, like, yeah, that's why, um, again, that's why I wanted, I thought of you when I wanted an outside audio perspective on soundtracks and scores. And I know that we, uh, we are both actually, Vinyl lovers. Mm-hmm. We both we both have a pretty you know decent collection of vinyl, and I just figured this would be a good hobby for both of us to pick up on. Yeah, yeah. Um, for this to be the first one, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. I I didn't I actually I didn't know what to expect, and I think that's gonna continually be the the case. The case. Maybe. Oh yeah, we we definitely have you know an endless list of well, not really because I have to f- find the actual scores and soundtracks on vinyl. So there there's not an endless list because yeah, not every movie score is printed, and so I don't. I just thought you know it would make a fun little segment that we can do within the podcast. But yeah. uh, and I definitely you know I I've seen enough horror movies to then learn that this is not my thing. Cause I mean, I kind of, we grew up together and yeah, you know, we were in bands together and when we were doing that together, we would kind of sit down and watch some pretty messed up movies sometimes. <laughs> yep. 
Um, so that's kind of how I realized that this is not my genre. And, um, for example, I don't think there's a vinyl score for Sallow. <laughs> and I don't think that's going to come across. Uh, I don't know. I did just come across that uh, Cannibal Holocaust vinyl oh, that I right. told you about. I was like, what the... F-? Like, what? They printed this on vinyl? Yeah. But, uh, I mean, yeah. Like Frankenhooker. Like, you're not going to Dude, Frankenhooker. Franken We're going to have to cover Frankenhooker on the podcast. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, so... Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch base on? Or did you write something out that you wanted to just plug in? Yeah. The music of Midsommar, composed by Bobby Krillick, is an intriguing exploration of sound, with a focus on creating an eerie and unsettling atmosphere. The score employs various techniques to immerse listeners in a unique experience. Krillick's use of droning sounds, dissonant chords, and sustained tones craft a sense of tension and unease throughout the music. These elements contribute to an overall feeling of mystery and suspense, drawing the listener into an enigmatic sonic world. The influence of a remote Swedish village's midsummer festival is evident in the folk-inspired instrumental and choral arrangements. These elements create an almost ritualistic quality, transporting the listener to an unfamiliar and captivating realm. The repetition and layering of simple motifs give the music a gradual intensity, much like slowly unfolding story. There's a clear integration of sound effects that add a layer of immersion, making the music feel like it's part of an atmospheric journey. Amongst the unsettling aspects, there are moments of emotional resonance, almost feeling delicate, that provide a balance to the dissonance. These emotional connections mirror the character's experiences, offering a glimpse of their inner world. In essence, the score of Midsummer serves as a captivating sonic journey evoking emotions and painting oral landscapes. While I haven't seen the film, the music alone tells a story of mystery, tension, and emotional depth, showcasing the power of sound design in creating a unique auditory experience. Overall, the score of Midsommar achieves an overwhelming feeling of dread and despair by ingeniously combining dissonance, ritualistic elements, and emotional resonance. The music becomes an integral part of the film's unsettling narrative, inviting listeners to experience a journey through the depths of fear and the fragility of the human psyche. And welcome back. So yeah, now we're just going to talk about the uh, the artwork on the vinyl sleeve itself, um, the cover and the inner sleeve, and sometimes even what the the vinyl color is printed. You know. So uh, yeah, we're gonna start with uh, we'll start with the cover. Lane, what are we looking at here? Uh, it's pretty simple: black and white. Black and white. Um, perhaps. Um gray in there it looks really cool i'm getting a lot of sort of pagan vibes from this um they this yeah, the symbols these sim- yeah these symbols kind of i almost want to see stars there and for some reason that's why perhaps the symbols are standing out to me but it's mm. pretty cool simple so yeah it's a gatefold vinyl and it folds out into well what i know pretty sure this 
pans across this art in the beginning of the film, and it's basically the story of the film itself. But uh, so it's left to right, and I guess you you want to start left from the left, and yeah, go down what's going on. Well, it's uh, all one beautiful piece of artwork. Um, to me, yeah, looking at it, it it's drawn as a timeline. Uh, you can just kind of tell. And the beginning here looks like begins with death or some sort of dark, dark happening. People kind of falling. And there's a skeleton with a sword, which is pretty cool. But he seems to be the one guiding these people down. Yeah, why does he got a sword? Yeah. Oh. I never noticed that, actually. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The skeleton's wearing tall boots. Skeleton's got boots. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> we got a, it's a pirate. What? There's no pirates in this movie. It's interesting. Um, and then there's a man sitting on a tree. It's daytime. And a crying woman with a man behind her trying to sympathize her. Comfort her. Then they seem to be at a funeral. Uh, which then turns into a parade, then some type of gifting ceremony where they're being gifted skulls and goblets, church, and a man hanging upside down, and then some sort of heavenly feast uh, under the sun and the skeleton band. (laughs) There is a skeleton. There is a lot of skeletons in the sun. And that's the the maple. And the maple. Yeah, okay. and then the back, just kind of like the, the back. Front. Yeah, same, same, just the front, very black and white. And the song listing. Hmm. So yeah, we're gonna have a little, I guess, explicit content warning. Um, the inner sleeve, we got what is it? Seven naked women, three, six, seven. Yeah, seven naked women standing like, in water, standing in water with flames, holding torches, holding torches, with but in the, front of a burning ball. Yes, that's like a something, yeah, like a hill or something burning. Um, the backside has a thanks. Yeah, it says thanks. Atticus Ross, without you, I wouldn't be doing this. Mattis, Hannah, Matt, Caius, and all the Young Turks. Ari, one of the most inspiring collaborations I have ever had. Iteriana, for your endless patience and support. Finn, far too many things to thank you for. Christopher Leckie, Bridget, Jess, and all the orchestra, Jessica Kenny, Lina Bond, Lars Knudsen, all at A24, and most of all, to my parents, thank you. But then, underneath this thank you, it's got a... Um, you say it. Uh, it's like an artsy, floral-esque... Phallic object. Phallic object. <laughs> Um, with stuff coming out of the top and the two flower petals on the side and some leafy stuff and uh, looks like eyeballs on the on the bottom part, yeah. I guess. Uh, I really would get that tattoo. Oh, my God. Like on my ankle. And the same size, it's right there. Like, just bring that in. I really would. Oh, Lane. Lane's here for good quality content. <clears throat> and then <laughs> the record itself. Uh, side A is the 
skull. Ah. Like in the beginning. Yep. On the inner sleeve. Yep, coinciding with the inner with the uh, inside of the gate fold. Yep. That's and cool. Side B has the sun, and it's just printed on a black vinyl. I think strategically so. You think? Yeah, because I, I feel like Sorry, there's a lot of this. there's a lot of subtle messaging going on here, <laughs> and because I like that it's on black vinyl, and that might not, you know. I think it's just, I, I believe that was done strate strategically. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I like black flannel too. Uh, so I guess while we were talking about packaging, um, should we just talk about turn into our next one? Sure. The witch. Mm -hmm. And we can just start about, start with that. Yeah. Where's the packaging? The package is right here. Um, not a gatefold. Uh, Mondo exclusive. They put the sticker right on. Right over the title. That's, right over the that's title. That's really nice. Thanks, so, Mondo. So. If you're listening, sponsor this podcast. Sponsor. Sponsor us and we'll just talk about all the vinyls that you print. Because I actually have a quite a few. So So there's a there's a, a goat. A he-goat. Black Phillip. Black Phillip on the front. This film I have seen. Um, this is one of the last one uh, sort of scary movies I have seen that Dustin had. Uh... Yeah, we went to the Alamo to go watch it. You, I think, yes, we did. Yeah, I've seen this twice. Twice? Didn't we watch it here at one point? No, I don't think so. No, we went to the Alamo. Well, Dustin managed to get me to watch the only scary movie I've ever seen. <laughs> In a in a in a uh, movie theater, movie which theater was you're also this movie. <laughs> so yeah, we have Black Phillip on the front. Black Phillip, super cool um, drawing. Another thing, I just like this sort of folk art type stuff. It's like black and white again, but not necessarily like white. It's almost a little eggshelly, which is cool. Hmm. And on the back. Um, Um, a large winged devil um, s smiling, standing over the villagers. Um, pretty cool. And then track listing. <laughs> yeah, this is not a gatefold, and I saw the, uh, the plastic on it. And then the vinyl itself. Oh, yeah. What is that? Like, it's... I think it says it's a right splatter, here, but limited edition reverse board jacket pressed on clear vinyl with red and black marble. Red marble, yeah, marble. marbling, really nice. So yeah, the record itself is like a printed uh, red and black marble. I'm sure that's the one thing that I really do like about the colored vinyls is even though there's a you know that's the theme, they all you can you can find anomalies in the the making of the. The disc itself which is really cool mm, yeah. so everyone's pretty much different yeah i mean it's yeah it's not gonna be like the exact same same not even close time. sometimes which is what's cool yeah uh i mean yeah so we'll just move on in and talk about kind of we just listened to it mm-hmm very dark how did that make you feel very dark <laughs> it's very uh folky 
Yeah. Okay, so, okay. I, so for me, I got. Oh yeah, what do we got? Look at our notes here. We took notes. We take notes here. Like it kind of like whenever it's folky, sometimes it's also like fairly medieval. Yeah. Know, at times, which is cool. Um, now, at first, I thought that this had like extremely deep layers. However, after doing some research into the actual instruments that we were listening to, what what were what were what were those three instruments? Uh, yeah. So we were listening to this, and we were guess. So I was guessing. We thought it was like bagpipes, um, multiple stringed instruments, and it turns out to be like one, two, three. I mean, yeah, it is multiple stringed instruments, but uh, we got the tenor and brass nickel harpa. So um, that instrument, the nickel harpa, yeah, sounds. All of these have like a choral effect to them, so you almost can't like a, it sound like a chorus effect. Yeah, that and the uh, the hurdy gurdy, and the I don't know how to pronounce juhiko, all very like very unique instruments. Um, half bagpipe, bish, like how they play them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's a string instrument, but he was winding it. So it to me, it sounded like a synthy bagpipe. Hmm. Pretty cool. Um. Again, like just very similar to, which is interesting to have found these two two scores as similar as I thought. Actually, um, having like Irish folk, um, mixed with spooky, um, choirs and you know sort of eerie <clears throat> smoky sounds. Um. Yeah, that uh, the water phone. So we also looked that up too, and mm-hmm. the water phone instrument you hear in almost every single horror movie. That is, I don't know how to describe it. Can't even describe that yeah. noise. But uh, yeah, a lot of interesting, unique instruments. So I guess I'll go through all the instruments real quick. Um, yeah, so we got the tenor and brass, nickel harpa, the cello, and the water phone, all played by Mark Coven. Um, or Corvin, sorry, who also did the score himself. So he was in charge of everything. He already did three or four of the instruments. Uh, He also had uh, the viol, another nickel harpa, and vocals on a couple songs done by Catherine Hill. That one song with her in it. um, Beautiful. Isle of White. Yeah, that was beautiful. Um, Then we got the hurdy-gurdy and the juhiko both played by Ben Grossman and the uh, choir, the witch coven, I would, I would say is the element choir. And there's about like 11 people in that. Uh, yeah, definitely spooky. The witch choir is crazy. Um, we could just go through, <laughs> that was funny. That was funny. Cause during one of the songs we were talking about the blue man group. Yeah. TVC, it's sort of, what even is that? Was that the water phone? I think it was. No. It sounded like, to me, what you're talking about. Oh, the boop. It was, yeah, yeah sort of like there was pounding timpanis, driving and stomping timpanis, blended with sort of a draw, air drum hmm. tones. Something like you'd hear in Blue Man Group. Then it leads into sort of what I call jangles and whistles. 
Yeah, you said jangles, and I wrote that down, too, because I thought it was funny. Yeah, jangles and whistles, but, you know, kind of like bells on ropes hanging off of a belt that somebody kind of jangles. That might be that water phone thing. It might be. Because of what it looked, you know, because what it looked like. And then immediately leading into extremely overwhelming looming bass tone. Which, I wrote bass. Yeah. Because it's just like extremely shook. overwhelming bass tones. I yeah. thought I was worried for your speakers for a second. <laughs> yeah. I, I turned it down. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? And quite a, like during this aspect, you really get a lot of doom. Yeah. Knocking. Running, knocking, sort of timpanies and ends out the song, kind of transitioning into sort of Irish folk, enchanting vocals, which is really nice. Hmm. Quite a contrast. Definitely feel like that one starts out really dark and then ends up kind of leaning towards the light, which is refreshing after being this far into something so overwhelmingly dark. The next song has a lot of explosive moments, um, and there's sort of a shattering, dripping effect. But I believe that was that first. What was the first instrument mm. of the three that we looked up? That we looked up. The first thing I looked up was the hurdy gurdy. What was the other one? And then the second one was the johico, and then, yeah, and the, then, the johico. Yeah. So this, this last song has a lot of explosive moments as well as what I'm assuming is the Johiko, if I'm saying that right, sort of yeah. shattering, dripping um, noises overlaid with, and I call things different things, but I call them wood clankies, but same same as the, the jangles, but maybe perhaps there's like nuts, like tree nuts. In shell hanging, and they're clanking, clanking. Is that what you said when it sounded like the coconut? Yeah, clankies. <laughs> just clanking. And there's so many. Where does it put it? Yeah, what? what so else many layers there? here. I just think that really, whenever, especially when we have like, what sounds perhaps like string choruses. I really only think it's two instruments. Mm-hmm. I think it's the hurdy gurdy layered with a bagpipe. Well, I heard it. That sounds like it sounds bagpipe. Sounds like a bagpipe, but I think there's definitely all of these choral sections sound like mini layers, even though there's definitely more than one. There has to be more than one because there's a front and a back layered. Similar on this one is that's one of the similarities between Midsummer's score and the score of the witch is because layering simplicity trying to gain the most maximum impact with the lowest amount hmm, yeah. of layers <clears throat> so oftentimes you have a front and a back layer something is overlaid on top of something and in midsummer there those layers are often contrasting emotions whereas in this one they're similar therefore adding to the depth of the space um the one of the last things that i got it was towards the end well so i mean the score on the vinyl kind of just goes in the order of the movie and the big jump scare happens we're like oh this is when black philip is attacking the dad 
And then it leads to, yeah, the next song is like following the goat or something like that and goes out into the woods. Then it leads it to the witchy, the witch coven chant. Yep. And that's about it. And the witch coven chant, I think. Spooky. Yeah, I mean, that is what it is. I don't think it was obviously meant to portray anything else. Definitely is spooky. But, uh, yeah. So, I think that that about does it for The Witch. Um, If you're interested in getting either of these vinyls, um, I did order The Witch off of Mondo. It is a Mondo exclusive. Uh, Sometimes they sell out of their items, but sometimes they reprint them. Um, Just like Midsommar, that was off of Mondo, but it's been sold out online forever. And when I was actually in Boston at a comic book, I think it was like Legacy Comics or something, I was looking at their vinyl section and Midsommar was there. I was like, sweet. So I picked that up. Um, so, yeah, I guess go check out your local record shops and or check, try to get so it online. way to find that stuff. Yeah. It's either online or boots on pavement. Boots on pavement. Yeah. Rubber on road. <laughs> go out and do something, you know, so support local. That's right. Yeah, a lot of these local, a lot of these record shops are locally owned, you guys. So you just gotta get out there. I think that goes for everybody. So yeah, Lane, um, what did you think of these two scores? Overall, I honestly, um, I think it's interesting because I really like it. It's not something I would just sit down and listen to myself, but this really gave an opportunity to to sit down and listen to something that I normally would not listen to, and I really like it. It it. it it did give me a chance to try something that I would not normally listen to. Hmm. Oh, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. And, uh, break down your, your box, I guess. So I guess that will do it for our first episode of Vinyl Edition, The Bear Notes. Uh, we did it. We did it. We did it. This was a process and it was fun. <clears throat> yes, it was. Yeah. And we will do some more. Um, I guess let us know if there are any scores, maybe if there is on, if they are printed on vinyl, I, I could check them out, but you could email us at hfmmpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send in any requests on any scores that you want us to cover. I'll go out and try to find it if it is printed. Um, or I guess in the meantime, you could follow me on Letterboxd at spooky402. Uh, I'll probably put the have a separate list for what we cover vinyl wise and on top of the list of other movies that we're going to be covering the podcast until we actually make a letterbox podcast. You should make a discogs specifically for this and only put in the, what we listen to, not what we listen to, but everything that you own that could be featured in this. Okay. That way people can go and see what you already have and vote on that. Oh, um, there you go. Um, what was that? You should create a Discogs specifically for this podcast. Yes. And anything that is in your collection already, because yeah. you have a lot of scores. Yeah, I do. But you I can get use more. that as, you know. Yeah, people could check it out. People can check it yeah, out. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, if you're a, a vinyl. vote on and submit requests for next episodes based on what's already in your catalog. True. That way you get a little bit of a response from your viewership yeah if you have a discogs um i also have a discogs actually and it is the same tagline 
spooky402 as my letterbox. So you can check it out on there. In the meantime, you could probably check out what soundtracks I do have, but that is a good idea. Until then, I'm Dustin. And Lane. This has been the Horror Flicks and Music Mix Podcast. <laughs>